Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Temptation. Problem with temptation, of course, is it's tempting. Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation, would it? Jesus, driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. Why? Why was Jesus driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted? What was the point? Why go out of the way to put yourself in a position of temptation? The answer, in fact, lies in Paul's letter to the Romans that we also heard, because he's trying to unpack what's actually going on in Jesus going into the desert. And Paul frames it in a kind of a cosmic story. He relates it back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and Jesus being the counter of Adam and Eve in the garden. So whereas Adam and Eve are in this glorious, luxurious garden with all the food in the world to eat, Jesus is sent into the barren desert where there's nothing to eat at all. So that the temptation that he faces is for food. The temptation that Adam and Eve had wasn't for food because they had an abundance of it. And yet they chose the wrong food. Has it really got to do with food? Is that what we're talking about? Is it about plucking apples off trees or not? The point of Jesus being in the desert, as Paul puts it, is to say that whereas our situation, the problems that we have in terms of our ability or capacity for sin, have to be set right. And that can only come through Jesus reenacting what Adam and Eve did and restoring that which they lost. So that's the reason that Jesus goes into the desert. It's part of the same story as Adam and Eve, which is why we've got it as our first reading. So let's just go back for a moment, shall we, and look at what's going on in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are created and given this garden to look after. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? Every plant on the planet they're allowed to choose from. All the food abundantly available for them. And God says, you can have anything you want, but you must not eat from that tree. There it is. That little word, not. Isn't it interesting how that little word, not, narrows the focus of the whole of the garden down to one tree? We wouldn't ignore that tree completely with everything else that was around had it not been focused on. And in that focusing, of course, something comes to a crystal point. Which kind of begs the question, if God hadn't said, you can eat of any tree, but not that one, 
they have even ever noticed it? Was there something specifically about the fruit of that tree? You know, if they ate it, all of a sudden it would do some kind of magic inside them and change their perception of the world around them. Or was it the command itself that left them with what? A choice. All of a sudden, choice enters into the garden, doesn't it? Through that one simple command. You can eat of any tree, but not that one. Why would God say that? It has to do with this element of choice. The thing is that if you don't have to choose, then there is no cost involved. There is no movement to make. And the thing about love is that it requires movement. It requires a movement from ourselves towards another. Now, if you actually think about what's going on in the temptation, the temptation was presented to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, to which they answer, God said we can eat any fruit, but not that one. And the response to that, of course, is, oh, but that won't be the case. You will become like God, knowing good and evil. How would they know good and evil? Was it something in the fruit? No, of course not. It was the act of turning away from the command that they'd been given. And what was the point of that command? The point of the command was to give them the choice of turning and being with God or turning to themselves. The temptation then was whether or not to look to God or to look inward. You shall become like God if you take that fruit. The problem is, of course, that God is the source of life. And the temptation is, can we be the source of our own life? To which the answer is, no, but we'd like to think we could be. And that's what this temptation is actually all about. It's who is the source of life? Are we the source of our own destiny? Are we the ones who choose what happens in the world? Do we know what's good and evil? Do we know what's right and wrong? Are we the source of life? No. So why does sin enter the world? Why does death enter the world through this eating of the, of the forbidden fruit? Not because of the fruit, but because we turn away from the Creator and turn towards ourselves, which automatically means we've disconnected ourselves from the source of life. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? If you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And that's why when Jesus goes into the desert, 
the temptations that he faces are all about who is God, who is the center of attention. Jesus was hungry at the end of the 40 days. The tempter comes to him and says, you can turn these stones into bread. As I said, the problem with temptation is it's tempting. Yes, he could. And he was hungry. So, should he use this power as the Son of God? Should he feed himself? He could feed himself. Life? Where does life come from? No. His response is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Interestingly, that's exactly the phrase, and where that comes from is from Moses in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were starving in the desert, and they were fed by the manna every morning that appeared. And Moses said to the people of Israel, God has given you this manna every morning so that you shall know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Paul, in one of his letters, says that Jesus was with the Israelites in the desert. In fact, he was the bread that they ate every morning. So yes, Jesus could turn this stone into bread. He was the bread that fed the Israelites in the desert. But he, instead he turns and he says, no, I am not the source of this life. God is, and I will be obedient to him. Then we've got this next temptation about being taken to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. And everyone will see it, but you will not be harmed because the word of God says he will send his holy angels to protect you. What would be the temptation in that? Well, for Jesus, wanting to spread God's word and God's message. It would mean all of a sudden everyone would see him as someone important, someone special. They'd listen to him. Because they could see that clearly God's with this person and all of a sudden he'd have ears listening to him. So yes, there was a temptation there to draw once again attention to himself for a good purpose, of course. And Jesus answers, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then he's shown all the kingdoms of the world. Goodness me. If he was ruler, if he had authority over all these nations, think of the good that he could do. Think of the way that he could just heal everyone and sort all the problems out and get rid of the bad people and sort out all the injustice and the corruption. See, the temptation to set things right. The problem is it's tempting. But no, that is not the way. Because the way instead is the way to the cross. So ironically, 
by choosing God, the source of life in the desert and in his temptations. Where does it lead him? It doesn't lead him to life. It leads him to the cross, to death. So by turning to the source of life in the desert, he ends up dying. Why? Because his obedience and turning to the source of life takes all our turning away from the source of life. And he takes that turning away, having turned back to God, and takes it to its ultimate conclusion, which is the cross. And by dying, having turned to God, he offers us life back. And so instead of being sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we can become sons and daughters of Jesus. And that gives us a clean sheet. But it doesn't stop us from being tempted. We still have the choice each day. Who is God? Is it us or is it God? Where does our authority come from? Where does our dependence lie? It is always a movement out of ourselves towards God and towards our neighbour. Because it's that choice to move out of ourselves, to give to the other, to give back to God, that reconnects us with the Lord of life. So that's what's going on when we follow Jesus into the desert. We are learning to exercise our wills to choose life in the empty barrenness of the desert. It's not going to be easy. It's not a ride in a garden. It's a hard choice. But it's the choice of life. And in choosing life, God's promise is that life will overflow through you back into the world around you. You become Christ's ambassadors. You become spillers of life in the desert so that the garden begins to grow again. Amen.